Well, good morning. If you believe God is good, would you shout amen? Amen. I tell you, there's some times in life where we struggle, but we can always come back to the truth that God is always good. Amen. So today we're going to begin a new series called Defining Moments as we continue through the gospel of Matthew. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be in this series. And so one thing that we all know is true, all of us, is that life is filled with defining moments, isn't it? And not just one, not just two, several moments. Several moments we all experience in life that define some things in our life. So here's what I want to do just for a moment. We don't do this very often, but I want you to take about a minute, and I want you to talk to your neighbor, and I want you to come up with some moments in life that have been defining moments in your life, all right? So take a minute right now. It's okay. Talk out loud. Do it with your neighbor right now. Come on, keep talking. enough talking. So here we go. So I wish I could get a front house picture of the group because some of you look at your neighbor like, I don't know. I just said, I don't know. There's nothing. And then some of you, I'm going to have trouble reeling back, right? So, so here's the thing we all know. There's a defining moment. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to shout out a defining moment that may be in your life or someone else's life that we just, that people go through. What is a defining moment? Moving to Florida. Who said that? Yes. Moving to Florida, a defining moment. That's right. Somebody else. What's the defining moment? What? Salvation. Salvation. Oh, that's awesome. That's right. That's the biggest defining moment. Amen? Okay, what's another one? Marriage. What'd you say, Anita? Having a child. What else? Graduation. That's right. Some of you graduated. See, here's what we all know, that there are major defining moments in life, right? Now, here's what I would say. Probably the, the, the supreme defining moment, obviously, for those of us in the room that have surrendered our life to Christ, that is the defining moment in our lives. But there are other defining moments, like marriage, like when you get married. I mean, if you're married, has that been a defining moment that has really impacted your life? Amen. Yeah, don't say, oh, me. That's bad. Say amen, right? (laughs) Not oh, me. Amen. And so marriage is a defining moment. Deciding to have kids, when that moment happens, unless you didn't decide and God just decided for you. I mean, those are defining moments in life. But also things like divorce is a defining moment in life. The moment you decide to, to choose a career path is a defining moment. What about, what about, what about this? What about cancer? Is that a defining moment when you get the news? See, here's what we all know about defining moments. Here it is. Now listen to this. Here's what we know about defining moments. Some defining moments come as a result of the decisions we make, and some of them come just because life happens, right? Some of them just come because life happens. But here's what we all know about every defining moment. These moments, the moments you mentioned, the moments you talked about, these moments and how we respond to those moments define and shape the trajectory of our lives. Now, I want to say it again because that's going to be the whole premise of this series. The moments of life that come our way, whether it's by decision or just because life happens, those moments and how we respond to those moments shape and define the trajectory of our lives. Here's what I know about you, and I know about me, that where we are at today spiritually 
is a direct result of how we have responded over the course of our life to those defining moments. Think about that. Where you find yourself spiritually today, you may be loaded with faith today. I mean, you and the Lord are walking so close today. It didn't just happen. If you're close to the Lord today and you're deep in your faith and you have this unbelievable trust in the Lord, that didn't just happen. It's because over time and over time, you've continued to respond to these defining moments in life in a way of faith and trust and you've seen God work and now you've resolved in the place where spiritually you are growing and you're maturing and you're strong in your faith. Where you're at today is a direct result of how we respond to those moments in life. And consequently, the other thing is true. If we find ourselves today here struggling and doubting and weary in our faith, listen, you didn't get there by accident. We got there because of the way we responded to those moments in our lives. We are at spiritually exactly the place we are because of how we responded to those moments in our lives. Do you believe that? I'm telling you. Now, here's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at many, many, many moments throughout the Gospels. We'll continue our study through Matthew, but this section of Scripture, we're going to talk about some defining moments, and we're going to look at some particular moments, and we're going to see how people responded to those moments, and we're going to see is there's some, some takeaways for us that can help us grow in our walk with the Christ so that when moments happen that we respond out of faith, not out of doubt and fear. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to begin looking at some of the greatest guys in Scripture, the disciples. And Matthew chapter 14, we're not going to stand and read Scripture because today I want to do something a little different. I want us just to walk through the text. I want us to get a heart for what's going on by just walking through the passage. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to begin reading verse 22 and 23. It says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, <coughs> excuse me, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now let me just go back for a minute. When it says immediately, what has just happened before this? Well, we know from last week, it was the feeding of the 5,000, right? And that was a very tiresome event. All these people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, showed up because they just could not wait to be around Jesus. I mean, wherever Jesus went, they wanted to be there. And then we know the story. Evening came and they got hungry and Jesus says they need to stay. And Jesus provided for them in a way that blew their mind and should blow our minds. So that has just happened. And immediately following that, after everything's wrapped up, Jesus says, all right, disciples, get on this boat, go across the other side of the sea. I'll catch up with you later. He dismisses the crowd and then he goes to the mountaintop. And what does he do? takes a long winter nap, right? What does he do? What did he do when he went up to the mountain? He prayed. Now, this is a side note, but I, I think it's important to mention. If the Son of God, being fully God and fully man, found time to commune with the Father, how much more should we find time? Come on, are you with me on that? If the Son of God, fully God, fully man, who knew all things, find it necessary to take time and to commune with the Father, how much more should we, as not God, should commune with the Father? Jesus went away on the hillside, and he prayed, and, it says, and he was alone, meaning nobody was around him. Verse 24 says this, but, when the, by this time, by the, but the boat by this time <clears throat> was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on 
the sea. Now, here's what's going on. Jesus sent them to the other side. And by the time that Jesus is done praying, the boat is a long ways off. Now, here's what that means. He prayed for a really long time. He went up in evening, and when he got done, it was probably close to morning time. So he's prayed for hours communing with the Father. And when he's done praying, he goes to meet the disciples, and the Bible says that the boat is a long ways off, right? This boat is not close to them at all. And so Jesus goes to them, and the fourth watch of the night, now you're like, what the world's fourth watch? It means just before daylight. It is still dark outside. Just before the break of daylight, that's, that's how he went to them. That's when he went to them. And notice how he went to them. Look at verse 25. It says this, but the boat was along the ways by the land, was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it, and in the fourth watch tonight, he came to them, and what was he doing? How did he get to them? Walking on water. Now, sometimes when you read the story, if we read the whole story at one time, we would kind of back away, and we would focus on the latter part of the story, which we are going to focus on, but I don't want you to miss something here. Jesus walks on the water. That's a miracle, isn't it? When's the last time you walked on water? Not in your own mind, but I mean literally, when's the last time you walked on water? It's never happened. Because when you took a step on water, what happens next? You fail. It's not happening for you. And I want to say this, when we look at scripture, don't minimize the miracles that happen. I mean, Jesus sees his disciples, possibly, they're way out of the way from him. We don't even know if he can see them. There's a storm going on. I mean, the waves are beating against the boat, and Jesus is trying to get to his disciples. He goes to them before daylight, and the way he gets to them is not by walking around the sea like the people had done to follow Jesus. He decides, I'm going to walk on the sea, and I'm going to get to him that way. Think about it. The Son of God has the authority even over nature. I mean, it blows my mind. Does that blow your mind? I mean, it's one thing for him to touch the leopard and heal him. That's wonderful. It's another thing for him to break bread and keep providing and providing and fighting for where five loaves and two fish feed thousands of people. But now he's breaking all the rules, right? Now he's actually defying the laws of nature, and he is walking on water. Now, why am I making a big deal of that? Because the miracles of Jesus remind us of a lot of stuff. Sometimes they remind us of his love for us. Sometimes they remind us of his provision for us. But sometimes they remind us of the awesome power of our Lord. Now, you know why we need to be reminded of that? Because sometimes we throw a pretty good pity party for ourselves, right? Are you anybody good at throwing a pity party? Anybody good at throwing a spiritual tantrum? Listen, you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on your side, so quit throwing a party, throw a pity party. Start celebrating that he has control over all things. He walks on water. And look what happens next, verse 26. It says this, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, the thing about the disciples is, now, I want you to understand this, the sea they're on, we've talked about this sea before, and the sea they're on, they're fighting a storm. Now, most scholars would say the storm wasn't as bad as what they experienced earlier in Matthew. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, it says it was so bad the boat was beginning to come apart, right? You remember that story? So that was like, and it actually says that was a great storm, a seismos storm, a storm like a hurricane kind of storm. It doesn't say that about this one, but it does say it's a storm. And not about you, but all storms are bad, aren't they? And so these disciples are in this boat, in the storm, and oh, by the way, guess who's not on the boat this time? Jesus isn't on the boat with them like he was last time. 
So they're in the middle of the sea, they're in this storm, and they are freaked out. And all of a sudden, they see something or someone in the distance. Now, when I read the story, sometimes I look at it and go, come on, could you not really tell it was Jesus? I mean, the guy in the robe, long hair, sash, I mean, come on, could you not tell it was Jesus, right? But here's the thing I want you to think about. Have you ever driven in a terrible storm? Have you ever driven through one? Has it ever been so bad that you could barely see the front end of your car when you were driving and you were praying that you were actually on the road? You know what I'm talking about. So let's not miss that in the story. They're in a storm. The waves are crashing against the boat. It's pouring down. I mean, they are in a storm. And from a distance, they see something and someone. And here's the conclusion 12 disciples come up with. It must be a what? A ghost. Now, well, look at that. I go, come on. Did you not really know it was Jesus? But think about it. When's the last time they saw somebody walk on water? Never. So isn't this a natural conclusion they came to that what I see and what I'm experiencing, that is a ghost on the sea? Absolutely. That's a natural conclusion they came to. And when they thought it was a ghost, how do they respond? They cried out in fear. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate what that probably looked like. But I'm sure it wasn't pleasant, right? I'm sure it was filled with panic. It was filled with anxiety. And they cried out. And the word cried out literally means to scream out. It doesn't mean they're like, oh, save. I mean, they like cried out in panic. And for you ever had that moment when you cried out like that? Anybody ever cried out in fear of something? Anybody? Three of us in the room. Come on, four of us. And so some of you, none of you are like scaredy cats. Great. Probably a moment for me in my life was with snakes. I mean, I see snakes. There's things that come out of my mouth that I didn't know could come out vocally. I mean, there's a pitch that I can hit that I didn't even know existed because there's so much fear that ensues in that moment. That's what they're going through. They are crying out in fear. Why? Because they're in the middle of a storm and they see what they think is a ghost approaching them and they cry. Now think about it. They're already on edge because there's a storm. Now they're in total panic mode because they think they see a ghost. Look what happens next, verse 27. But immediately, <laughs> why would immediately happen here? Because immediately when Jesus heard them crying out, it says that Jesus spoke, and look what he said. Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. There's three things that Jesus says right here. First of all, he says take heart. In some translations, it would say be courageous. And what it's saying is let your heart be filled with courage don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be filled with fear. Let your heart be filled with courage, not fear. But the phrase I want you to focus on is when it says, it is I. In the Greek language, that phrase translates ego imai. And it can be translated this, I am. Hey, I want your heart to be filled with courage, not fear. You know why? Because I am is present. I am is with you. Now, we all know probably the I am statements referred that he is not just man, but he is God-man. He is God and he is present. So it wasn't just a sense of, hey, guys, kind of you know, buck up a little bit here. Hey, guys, quit being scaredy cats here. Quit being, you know, quit being so afraid of everything. Just kind of build some courage. I'm here. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, I don't want your hearts filled with fear. I want it filled with courage. You know why? Because I am is present. I am who controls all things is present. I am, by the way, who happens to be walking on water, has got this thing. I am is here. Chill, right? 
What a moment. Now, here's the question I think we have to ask. We know the story. Some of you do. Some of you don't. How would they respond in this moment? Would they respond to Jesus with this great deal of trust of going, okay, you're right. He's here. And last time he was here, he spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. And this raging storm, guess what? It stopped. So we can bank that what he's saying is true. He is here. I am as present. We can trust him. Will they respond that way? Or will they respond with doubt and fear and anxiety? Well, let's look. The very next verse, verse 28 and 29 says this. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it really is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Now, this is a defining moment for these disciples. Now, here's the one thing I want you to notice about the story. How many guys are on the boat? Not a trick question. How many disciples are on the boat? Twelve. Like, I don't know, maybe it's twelve. It's twelve. Twelve disciples on the boat. Out of twelve, this is a great math lesson here. Out of twelve, how many spoke up? One. Peter. Now, when I read the scriptures, the guy that I love a lot is John. John's gospel, he has a way of writing it that makes you, I mean, it just woos me to loving Jesus more. But did John speak up? No. What about James? I mean, James is one of those heroes of the faith. Does James speak up? And Bartholomew, well, he's got the name Bartholomew. But anyway, he didn't speak up. Only one guy spoke up. And Peter, listen, here's what Peter said. Peter said, listen, if it's really you. In other words, Jesus, I've got some doubts because, you know, I've never seen anybody walk on water. You could be a ghost, but if it really is you, and I'm just banking that it is because I heard you speak, but the storm's coming, Jesus. The rain's falling. I couldn't really make out if it's really your voice, but I heard, I heard what you were saying. I don't, you know, I don't really know it's you, but Jesus, listen to me. I, if it's really you, call me out to yourself. And Jesus simply says in one word, Come. Now, this is a moment that I think the other 11 disciples are like, dum, da da dum, dum, right? What does Scripture say? Let's look. Here it is. Don't skip this. So Peter did what? He got out of the boat, and what else did he do? He walked on water, and he came to Jesus. Listen. Peter said, I'm not sure it's you, but if it is you, I want you to let me come with you. Now, some would look at this and go, well, Peter, we're just exuding a bit of arrogance. I would say you're wrong. I think he's exuding a great level of faith. He, is walking. he just saw him feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves and two pieces of bread. I mean, there's a point where you're like, that dude's pretty awesome. It was that moment, right? And so now we think it's a ghost. And so Peter, out of 12 disciples, only one shouts out. And he goes, if it's really you, let me come be with you. And Jesus says the powerful words, come. And the Bible says, Peter got out of the boat. And he walked on water. And he made it to Jesus. Please don't miss that. See, I know what some of you that have been in church all of your life, what you want to do is you want to talk about, yeah, but what's coming next? Well, forget what's coming next. Many of you know what's coming next, but this was a defining moment for Peter where Peter trusted the authority of what Jesus said, and he did it. He trusted the words of Jesus when Jesus says, come, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water. I would probably moonwalk, but he walked on water, and he went to be with Jesus. Now listen to me. 
Peter banked on the authority and trusted the authority of Jesus' words, come. That's powerful. And that's important for us to know because, listen, this book is the breath of God. This, every word in here has been breathed by God. And a question I would ask you, we talk about it often, do you believe every word in this book? Do you really believe it? Because here's what I believe. If we really believe it and really trust it and really bank that every word is from God and should be obeyed and lived by, I believe God would do in us and through us things that would blow our mind. And he would do things in us and through us that he's not doing anybody else because we are obeying it. Listen what? How many other disciples walked on water that day? See, I would at least been, if I was a Philip, I'd at least said, me too. Yeah, I mean, I'd at least try to get on board with this thing. But only one guy spoke up, one guy had extraordinary faith, and one guy walked on water. And now Peter is able to do what no one else could do, not because of his own strength, but because he trusted the authority of Jesus' words. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you this. We need to trust the authority of this book. And if we do, what God will do in us and through us, he will do in such a powerful way that we will experience things we never could experience without it. Amen? That was a defining moment for Peter. Great faith. Now let's get to all you pessimists. Let's get to the next part of the story. Here we go. Verse 30. Look what happens next. But when he saw the wind. Now let me just stop. Let's go back for a minute. Please don't minimize what just happened. I know we're going to get into the part where he fell. We all know the rest of the story. You're like, you're just waiting for it to happen. Listen, here's what's sad about me and maybe sad about you. There's times in the life of a believer, we're going to resonate with the great victorious moments like Peter had right here of great faith in God doing great things. And there's going to be times we try to do life on our own and we're going to fail, just like we're about to see. But at the end of the day, listen to me, what's the problem for many of us in the room is most of the times we identify with Peter, it's in our failures and not in our victory. I'm just challenging some of us in the room today. It's time for us to raise our game of faith and time to quit talking a good game about trusting God and actually start trusting God. Trusting him with your finances, trusting him with your marriage, trusting him with the direction he wants to take your life. It's time for us to put our money where our mouth is and start trusting him. Don't minimize that Peter walked on water because he put his faith in the right person. Verse 30, here we go. Now we're back. Here we go. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. This is a defining moment, number two, for Peter. We know what happened. Listen, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and he put it on the circumstances. Right? His faith lost focus. And when his faith lost focus, fear crept back in. And what happened to Peter? What happened? He sank. Right? He just sank. But I want you to notice something here. In the midst of Peter sinking, what did he do? Did he look to the disciples and go, throw me a life preserver? Throw out a life raft? Did he look to the disciples for help? No. Who did he look to? In the midst of his greatest, one of his great failures in life, because I mean, listen, come on. If you're Peter and you're walking on water, and these, if you're the disciples in the boat, you're thinking, oh my gosh. And then when Peter gets out to Jesus, 
All of a sudden, his faith loses focus. And we don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, okay, there's a storm that's brewing here. This is pretty cool. Jesus allowed me to come out. I trusted the Lord. But here's some questions I got. How am I getting back? How am I going to get back out of the storm? How am I going to get back out of the, onto the boat? I mean, maybe all these questions started raging. But regardless, his faith lost focus. And fear began to creep its way back into his heart and mind. And he sank. Took a hard, epic fall. Can you resonate with that? But here's the thing I love about the story we don't ever spend enough time on. In the midst of his failure, he didn't look to others to save him. Who do you look back to? Lord, save me. So he had a moment of great focus, a moment of lost focus, looking at the circumstances of life, and in the end he put his focus back on the Lord and said, Lord, save me. Now let's look what the Lord did. We all know how this ends. Look with me in verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand. See, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, let him, just kind of let him simmer there for a little while, right? Let's let him bob for just a little bit, realize what he's done, right? But it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him saying, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus asked an important question here. He said, why did you doubt? Hey, Peter. Didn't I speak words that allowed you to walk on water? Why did you doubt me? If I was strong enough and authoritative enough to get you to me, don't you think I'm strong enough and authoritative enough to sustain you with me? Peter, why did you doubt me, man? I had you. But Jesus told us why Peter doubted. O ye of little what? See, he tells us why he doubted. He knows the reason Peter doubted. It's kind of one of these questions he asked, but he's already telling us the answer. The reason Peter doubted is because his faith wasn't in his Savior anymore. His faith was in his circumstances. His faith was no longer in how Jesus could sustain him. His faith now was in how the storm was going to overtake him. Did you hear that? His faith wasn't in how Jesus was going to sustain him. His faith was in how the storm was going to overtake him. And he sank. And the Lord caught him. And he pulled him up, he rescued him, but he also gave him a reprimand. O ye of little faith. See, when I read this story, when I go through this story, for me, it reminds me that there were some defining moments in the life of Peter. And these moments, these two moments in particular, and there's others, these defining moments in the life of Peter are a reminder and kind of expose the faith of Peter at times, but also the struggles of Peter at other times. But here's what it also exposes, that these decisions that Peter made shaped and defined the trajectory of his life. I promise you something here. I could go through more of the Gospels, and I could show you great moments of Peter's faith, and I could show you great moments of Peter's decline. But at the end of the day, did Peter love the Lord? Did Peter love the Lord? You better believe it. I believe it's because of his love for the Lord that, that if you look at it, if you look at the New Testament, if you look at the book of Acts, there are two primary figures that shaped the sharing of the gospel in the first century. It was the Apostle Paul, and guess who else? Peter. Guess who got to speak and 3,000 people got saved? Peter. Right? This shaped and defined the trajectory of his life, in good and in the bad. So today for us, as we look at the story, there's three takeaways. I want you to write these down with me this morning. Three takeaways I want us to have. Here's the first one. Storms bring defining moments. The storms of life bring defining moments. You ever been through a storm in your life? 
maybe a broken relationship, a divorce, cancer, financial issues. Storms bring defining moments in our lives. And unfortunately, many of us, our response to those storms is like the other disciples. Fear, doubt, anxiety. Can you, can you resonate with that? Come on, everybody look at it. Can you resonate with that? However, here's what Jesus would say to us. Be courageous. Take heart. Don't be afraid. For it is I. In other words, don't let your life be filled with fear. Let your life be filled with courage. Because if you're a follower of me, I am is present. I am with you. The one who is for us. The one who's with us. The one who's got us. The one who provides for us. He's with us. So be strong and be courageous. And when storms come, we need to look to Jesus to sustain us. Not at the storms and how they're going to overtake us. First thing, storms bring defining moments. Secondly, our faith defines the moment. And here's what I mean by that. What happens to us doesn't define the moment. How we respond defines the moment. You get that? What happens to us is not what's defining. For example, there's many people, and we know people that have been stricken with cancer. And, you know, the bottom line is that when, when people I've talked to and I've, I've prayed with people and I've been to people's homes that are stricken with cancer, and there's really two kind of positions that people take. Some look at the, the, the life and, the, and how they were stricken with cancer, and they, they get to this place where they are just distraught, and they are just beat down, and they're filled with doubt and anger and all these different emotions, and they just, they just don't know that God's in control. Why would God let this happen? How could, I mean, all these things. And then there are people who are going, you know, I'm struggling, but I still know God is good. And I still know that God is going to take everything and work it to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I know that God is in control. See, what happens to us doesn't define the moment. How we respond defines the moment. Here's the thing. When we respond out of faith, we are more likely to live a life of courage. When we respond out of faith, we're more likely to make bold decisions. I mean, Peter got out of the boat, right? I mean, Peter didn't go, well, maybe let me test the water. Let me take, take, take one foot out, right? Peter got out of the boat, right? He got out. And some of us need to get out of the boat. See, if we really live by faith, we are going to live more courageously. If we really live by faith, we're going to make bolder decisions to do and to be what God wants us to do and to be. But if we don't live by faith, what we're going to find out is that there's an epic fall waiting just around the corner. To me, one of the most sad passages of scriptures in the book of Genesis, it's with Cain and Abel. You know, Cain was on the verge of killing Abel at one moment in Genesis. And God comes to Cain because the point was Cain and Abel both were to give a sacrifice to the Lord, an offering. And Abel gave one that was pleasing to the Lord, and Cain gave the leftovers, and it wasn't pleasing at all. And God came to Cain because Cain was mad at Abel. And he was considering killing Abel. And God said this to Cain. He said, Cain, why is your face downcast? In other words, why are you depressed, Cain? And then he says this. If you do what is right, you'll be accepted. In other words, if you will offer me what you should have offered me, it'll be all good. But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. Now, we know the story, don't we? Cain did not listen to God's words. Cain went out. Sin was waiting on him. And Cain killed Abel. Listen to me. If when storms come, our different moments in life come, if we don't respond out of faith, listen to me, an epic fall is waiting just around the corner. 
And can I just be honest and say this, that sometimes in my life, I tend to resonate more with Peter at this point than the other. Sometimes in my life when storms come, I find myself surveying the storm or the moment that I'm in. And I find myself trying to figure out how I can manage the storm that I'm in. And ultimately, guess what I'm doing? I'm not trusting God with the storm that I'm in. And guess what happens in those moments? Collapse. We fall. We have to remember that our faith determines the moment and defines the moment, not just the moment itself. The third thing I want you to know is this. We are never, everybody say never. We are never beyond the reach of Jesus. We can't out his grace. Think about that one. We can't out his grace. But when we fail and when we rebel, if we will just simply cry out to him, he will always be faithful to catch us. And I believe that when he catches us, and as he catches us, yes, he will rescue us, but yes, he will reprimand us. And yes, he will remind us of his love for us, his forgiveness for us, his faithfulness to us, and he will remind us that we have no need to doubt him anymore because we are never beyond the reach of Jesus. See, some of you here today, Look at your life, look at your situation and your circumstances, and maybe you think like you failed too many times, or you've done too much bad, or you've walked too far away from God, but there's no way you can ever come back. And I'm telling you, that's the furthest thing from the truth. That's a lie straight from the devil, because you're never beyond his reach. Amen? So for those of us here today that are believers, here's what I want to challenge you with. Maybe you're going through a storm today, and you're scared. Something's happened in your life, and you're scared. Or maybe there's some things happening in your life and you feel like God is nudging you a certain way. Maybe you feel like God is nudging you to share your faith. You feel like God is nudging you to make a career change. You feel like God is nudging you to do something for his glory. And God is nudging you to step out on faith. And some of you today just need to get out of the boat. You need to quit talking about it. And literally say, okay, Lord, I trust you. And literally step out of the boat and trust him. So wherever you find yourself today, here's my question. What is your faith focused on? Is it focused on your surroundings and your circumstances? Or is it focused on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith? Where's your faith focused? And regardless of where you find yourself today, listen to me, regardless of where you find yourself today, I believe the Savior wants you to know that if you're struggling today, that all he wants you to do is to continue to trust him. Just trust him. Hasn't he proven to be faithful to us? Hasn't he proven to never let us down? Yeah, trust him. And if you're that person that has rebelled and walked away from him, listen, if you will just cry out for him, he will catch you and he will restore you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand. And every head bowed and every eye closed as we have a moment of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just want you to hear my heart this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, nobody's looking around. And you truly feel like maybe you're in a storm today. Some things have come your way. It doesn't have to be cancer. It can be a broken relationship. It can be a fractured relationship. It can be financial issues. But you feel like a storm is brewing in your life or you're in one. Would you just put your hand on the noise? Look around. Put it up. Put it right back down. Amen. Put it up. Put it, oh, my gosh. Amen. Put it right back down. Are you here today and you feel like God has been nudging you? And it's time for you to put your money where your mouth is. It's time for you to get out of the boat and say, Lord, I trust you with all that I have.
If that's where you find yourself today, would you raise your hand, slip it up, put it right back down? Wow. Amen. Anybody else? I want to say something to you very, I want to encourage you this morning. And this is my challenge. This is our, our action steps today. I believe there's been times in my life that I feel like I needed God to do a revival in me. But can I tell you where revival should start? It should start with me on my knees. Amen? And for some of you that feel like you're in a storm and you're struggling, or you feel like God is nudging you and you get out of the boat, and you feel like you need revival in your heart today, if there's anyone who's a follower of Jesus and you feel like, I just need revival in my soul, I believe revival can start when we get on our knees. And this altar is open. Come to this altar, get on your knees, and just cry out to a holy God. Say, Lord, I'm in a storm and I need you. I need I am with me today. Lord, I feel like you're nudging me. Would you give me the strength to get out of the boat so I can live for you? Or if you're just here today as a believer and you just say, Lord, I just feel like I'm a, I become dormant in my faith and I need revival to break loose in my heart. Would you come and get on your knees before the Holy God and say, Lord, I need you. I need you to, to wreck me today. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'll be standing out front. I would love for you. If you've got questions or you want to accept him, say, Lord, say, Lord would you... Would you give me the strength to get out of my chair and go to the front and speak with Doug about what it means to know you? This invitation is here because as followers, we need to respond. Respond to what we've heard. And for those who don't know Christ, would you respond? Lord, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us. As we look at the story, Lord, I, I thank you for these defining moments of, of Peter. And I thank you that you remind me of some very, very powerful truths that when storms come in our lives, they, they are going to bring they, some defining moments for us. But Lord, I also pray that you remind us that it's our faith that defines the moment, not the storm. And so because of that, Lord, may we start continue to focus our faith on you and how you sustain us rather than focusing on the storm that wants to overtake us. And Lord, for those who have walked away from you, May they be reminded today that they are never beyond your reach. If we cry out, you will be faithful to catch us and to bring us back. Lord, I pray with all of my heart for those people in this room today that know you and call you Savior, that if they are struggling in their faith and they feel like they need revival of the soul, that today they would find themselves at this altar on their knees and revival would begin in this place today right here at this altar. And their hearts and in this church. Lord, would you, would you help us take those steps today? And for those who don't know you, today would be the day they would trust you. God, may you move only as you can. For it's in your powerful and precious son's name we pray. And amen and amen. Now listen to me. I'm going to ask Don and Terry if you'll slide up here. And if I can have another deacon and his wife right over here. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. But if you feel like, listen, if you feel like I need revival to break loose in my life. What better way than starting with on your knees and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. If you don't know Christ, what better way to continue your day than giving your life to Christ that will change all eternity? I pray that we would respond as the Lord leads us. And Patrick, you lead us in worship.